da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Hey, man, fam, welcome back in to the Mad About Movies podcast for another week of movie talk, movie news, rumors, rumblings, and weekly recommends. I am Kent, your host, joined as always by my co-hosts, Brian and Richard. Hey, guys. What's up? What's up? Good to have you. Um, good to have you, Richard, uh, to join me in this journey uh, through Men in Black International because... Um, oui, oui, monsieur. I barely survived this one. Um, I, I, it's actually funny because Brian didn't even choose to try to survive this one. Uh, Gosh, I know, I know. I, maybe I got the better of it. It, it sounds like I got the better of it. Anyway. <laughs> you, um, you didn't make the movie. Uh, some, you know, believe it or not, listener, uh, you know, we have <laughs> lives outside of doing the Mad About Movies podcast. Um, and so, you know, sometimes lives take over and you didn't make this one. But Richard and I, we took times out of our day to go see it <laughs> and, and, and make our notes and review it. And we are excited about discussing this. Let me just tell you, you're in for quite a fun discussion Man. a little bit later. Um, but, uh, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, fond memories of Men in Black. We talked about it in our, in our throwback episode a couple of years ago. So if you're a Men in Black fan and you want to reminisce on the good old good old times, um, go ahead and hit that uh, throwback on our website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Speaking of that, I want to say a special shout out to our new VIPs joining us at madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP over in our VIP club. These people are what keep the show going and uh, you know they're kind of our best friends on the show and we do a special episode for them after our episode each and every week. Uh, the latest one of those is our Toy Story retrospective, in which we discuss mm. the Toy Story trilogy. So if you want to catch yourself up on that and our thoughts on that prior to Toy Story 4 coming out this weekend, that's available now. Just sign up over at madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP, and it's about a dollar a week, I think 99 cents a week or something like that for every bonus episode that we'll ever put out. So if you find that, that it's worth it and you want to help keep our show commercial-free and on the air... On the main feed, check that out at aboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. Just one more thing before we talk a little bit of movie news, guys, is next week um, in the VIP, we're doing our AMA. So you can ask us anything you want. We do an exclusive episode over there. We're also doing our Goblet of Fire Harry Potter episode next week. If you want to uh, catch up on more of our Harry Potter series, that's going to continue the rest of this year. And uh, next week on the main feed, we're doing our Ask the Mam Fam segment, where we're taking your voicemails, your comments, um, and bringing them to the general Mam Fam here on the main episode. So if you want to leave a voicemail, if you've got a question for us that you want to be a part of that segment, we're going to take probably the top two or three of those for next week. Uh, call us at 214-308-1308. That's 214-308-1308. Just leave us a voicemail. And uh, with your question, comment, or review of a recent movie, and uh, we'll include that in our show next week, Ask the Mam Fam. But, guys, I think we should kick off today with a little bit of movie news. Rumors. How about that? Movie news. Yes! Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome! Let the filibustering begin! 
Um, I think we should talk reboots, prequels, um, sequels, since we're talking Men in Black International, because I think that's kind of the gist of the discussion tonight. Is you know, that's how, just movies now? It's not just movie. That, movies? Yeah, every movie is. That's basically you're right. You're right. exactly right. Um, the gist of the conversation really is when is enough enough in terms of these sequels? Um, you know, when? How many reboots? Uh, are okay, you know, which movies should be rebooted, which ones shouldn't, how long should you wait before you reboot movies, uh, you know, how much attachment should you have to the original movies, at least two when you weeks reboot them, answer. at least two and a half weeks before you, <laughs> yeah, I'm guarantee you they're already working right. on rebooting at Men in Black yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> after this yeah, week, but uh, yeah, it's incredible. A, a solid fortnight, if not two, you know, yeah. just yeah. You know, let it breathe a little, guys. They might have actually had another one in development, actually, it probably did, before <laughs> this one even came out, so, um, all that to say, um, the news broke today as we were logging on to record that uh, the Hunger Games will be rebooting with a prequel series very, very soon. And so this begs the question, guys, is this too soon for uh, more Hunger Games? And um, I guess the uh, it's going to be based off a new novel from the Hunger Games author, and that's yet to be... Uh, released in its untitled, it's called mm. Untitled Panem Novel. That's what it's called right now. Ah, yeah. crap, that's the name of my novel. Yeah, All right. you're going to have to change <laughs> that. Back to the drawing board. Uh, um, here we go again. Jeez. Mine was about Pan Am Airlines. Pan Am Airlines, yeah, mm. spelled Pan yeah. Am. So it's mm. probably still do it. Um, <laughs> the thing about this is, is uh, you know, I, you can probably do this without any of the original cast, but should they? And is this too soon? Brian, what are your immediate thoughts on this? Um, I got a couple parts of that, I guess. They, so they announced these kind of together. The she, Suzanne Collins, the, the author of the book, she, she put okay. out that they were, she was going to do a prequel series. I think it's set like, I think it's 60 years before the Hunger Games movies. And then Lionsgate immediately was like, yep, we're doing a, we're doing a uh, prequel or a preview or whatever a prequel to that series as well so it seems pretty i said on twitter it seemed like a pretty predictable move and i'm not i'm not totally against that by any means um you know i really i think catching fire the second of those movies is a very very good uh action blockbuster type movie the first and the third were okay and the fourth was fine but just was stretched too far i like that series fine enough i'm not dying to go back to it but uh you know this is we say this every week when we talk about this type of uh con this type of news item like every movie is going to get remade and rebooted and prequelized and all this sort of stuff. It's just kind of the way it is. So as far as a subject matter and material go, um, I don't think Suzanne Collins is a particularly good writer. So I thought I read those books. I thought the first one was a, was a pretty solid YA type book that, that had obviously it had a ton of success and it was fine. I enjoyed it well enough. And I didn't think that she had a great concept of where to go for in the second and the third novels, and it it really showed in the way that they, the way that they drag. And I, you know, we've been doing this Harry Potter retrospective over the last few months, and and you mentioned Kent, you know, we're going to continue that later this, I guess, next week. And um, one of the one of the things that is so good about those books is that they age up very successfully with their audience. You know, they start as kids' books and move to 
young adult and then into adult books. And they're really, uh, Rowling did just such a masterful job of that, of, of incorporating new themes and stuff and maturing the characters and whatnot through the course of them. And those books did not, the, the Hunger Games books didn't. They, she seemed like she really struggled to write more advanced and darker kind of themes for older audiences instead of just writing for kids. So I don't, I don't have just a ton of faith that the source material is going to be all that particularly great. So that kind of, in my mind, that leaves the, <laughs> that leaves the Lionsgate kind of holding the bag, trying to figure this out. And I, you know, that's, that can be, that's been a mixed bag for sure. So Richard, what about you? You have any thoughts on this? Uh, mm, I'm fine with it as a, as a, like Lionsgate has a whole heck of a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, other, so I totally understand them. When there's, I, I, I don't know if there'll be much of an audience for this, as we've learned from. Gosh, what's a what's a more loyal audience than the Harry <laughs> Potter fans? But those new movies have done fine. But it's in the you know they'll be a bigger budget than this. Um, you know they could find that they their audience is kind of aged out and is into mm-hmm. whatever they're into now, and then the next generation isn't reading those because they're not you know in the Fortnite universe or whatever. So. Uh, I, I, business wise, it could, it could fall flat too. I don't know enough about, uh, Collins to know about the writing, but she certainly created a cool world that, that could be explored. I'd almost be more, I agree with you. Those movies kind of peaked, peaked at the second one and then fizzled and never really as a series, I thought lived up to the premise. And so I would almost be more interested if someone else cool was like doing this. Um, sure within the world, but she certainly, she created it. So she certainly has the right to do so, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking askance at it a bit. We'll see. Mm -hmm. She has another series that I read when I was teaching because I had kids that were really into it. Uh, called it's, it's called something Greg, Gregor, the overlander. And it's like, I don't know, it's probably five or six books. And it was, that to me would be a better use of her source material just because it was a little more, true kid friendly or, or YA. And I, I think it could make for an interesting series or, or, or a Netflix show or something like that. I, I would be more interested in her as a, as a writer, as far as like basing uh, movies off her material from that front, than I would a new hunger games trilogy personally, but, but they haven't asked yeah. me. I've tried, I've sent letters notarized and everything <laughs> and, and nobody responds. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit with Richard in, uh, in the fact of I think this has potential as a world to build on. I, I'm much more intrigued by this, prequelizing this or sequelizing this than Harry Potter, just because Harry Potter has, you know, it relies so much on whimsy and magic and and the fantasy element. Um, you know, what, what makes the Hunger Games great was the realistic, visceral nature of the of what they're doing, um, you know, kind of mixed with that futuristic element, but obviously, uh, just the game of the hunger games themselves is, is very interesting, uh, for movies. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm much more kind of on board with this going in than I would have been for fantastic beasts. So, you know, I guess it remains to be seen who they're going to get, uh, you know, to direct or to star and all that. But, um, but I'm not against this happening. Um, and I guess it's, you're right. It's inevitable that uh, this will happen eventually. That uh, you know everything becomes anything that makes money will will there will be another one of right until it doesn't make money and then they'll wait 
mm-hmm. and then they'll try to make money off it again because it once did, you know. <laughs> so that's right. kind of the process. Right. Just give it a little bit of time, and and, and we'll see. Um, so speaking of reboots, sequels, um, there's a little rumor, there's rumbling floating around out there that, uh, you know, Disney is in this business of these remakes, these live action remakes, right? Uh, most recently with Aladdin and just here in the next month with, uh, with the Lion King, uh, the next rumored one to be in development is Hercules, and apparently they're supposed Callan to be... Callan Lutz. Callan Lutz. <laughs> well, I was going to say Jai Courtney, but... Um, is oh. Her- Hercules... Well, then they would, just call, it the new, they would just call it the new Jai Courtney film, Ken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the musical Disney version of Hercules, uh, hope, uh, you know, they're supposed to be redoing that live, live, adap- live action adaptation of that. Um, and who would you guess... Um, would be there, you know, who would you guess? Tate Donovan running back. would be uh, about <laughs> as Hercules, the lead. Uh, that's who right the voice was. Rocket Man. That Rocket Man, okay, sorry. <laughs> Tate Donovan got me. That's good. That was the original. He was the voice of the first Hercules, believe it or not. I, I, it's just, it's just funny. Kevin Sorbo. Him as, yeah. Kevin <laughs> Sorbo. Yeah, there we go. Didn't The Rock uh, already do this? Wasn't, didn't yeah, he get he did. a Brett Rat? We already got The Rock. Movie? Okay. Okay. Um, oh man, that that was Brett Redner's. That was he, <laughs> his opus. Mind. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I see that. Joke. You guys reviewed that. I remember, and you liked it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Training camp helped you out there. Yeah, I, I did. Like, that, was a, that was a. Sorry, I'm going to be on a plane. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who who who's the rumored lead here, Kinto Hemsworth, right? Maybe. Oh, now we're oh, we're, that's close. It's uh, Chris Evans is the rumored lead. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, beard or no beard? This is very important. No beard. To how, he's gonna be jacked okay. though. Be really yeah. jacked. Um, Hades is one of my favorite Disney villains. Oh yeah. So I think that could be really fun, depending on who they get uh, as Hades. Um, I think that, that that one has potential to be really fun visually, just with the whole Greek uh, mythology mm-hmm. element of it. Um, but yeah. you know, they'll, and they'll that do was it. a little bit up, probably past my Disney watching years. I mean, I've certainly seen it, but it's not mm-hmm. true canon of like those like ninety two to ninety. That was probably the last yeah, one yeah. that I was so in I, on, and and I think it went the order went what. Uh, it went Lion King, Mulan, Pocahontas was before Lion King, wasn't it? Ninety five? Yeah, no, po- yeah, Lion King was ninety three. Pocahontas was ninety five. Okay, Hunchback was Hunchback, Mulan, ninety six, I think, and Mulan Tarzan, and Tarzan was ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I was totally up. I think yeah. I was out at Mulan. I was again, out after Hercules I, for sure. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, yeah, not just age wise. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, these are on, but I'm a big boy now. <laughs> and I watch GI Jane. No, right. um, whatever it was. <laughs> whatever Bring me my cardigan, mother. GI Jane. Gosh. <laughs> just trying to think of the most random. Yeah. 92. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, though. I, so I don't, anyway, my point is I don't have any sort of, I liked it. I remember seeing it, but it's not like it won't. I don't have opinions on it, so I'd be op- mm-hmm. much more yeah. like if Lion King's weird, I'll be I'll be very angry, and I don't get angry about that kind of stuff. But this one, I'd be like, oh, cool, yeah, they're trying it. But yeah, I could see Evans doing that. That'd be cool for him. I, c- I believe he can probably sing. He just has that look to him. Yeah, 
I think so too. That one, uh, this one's certainly in the more rumbling, uh, more of the rumbling side of things, but, yeah. uh, that's just a, you know, you've got okay, a, there's cool. only a certain amount of these left for them to <laughs> kind of redo. <laughs> I'm actually really excited for Mulan. I think that yeah, one Mulan has could potential be cool. to be Same here. really cool. And the, um, the, the Chinese, uh, uh, set and all that will be, I think the, the, the visual of that one will be beautiful. Right. Agree. Yeah. I think it has potential. Um, I, I've heard that, uh, somebody said recently, I can't remember who it was, maybe Bob Iger or somebody like that said that Pocahontas is like the only one that they won't do. Yeah. That's the political Yeah. I don't blame him. Yeah. That one's just, uh, I get it. It's hard to get that one pitch perfect for all, all sides. Yeah. That one's got a lot of good songs though. That's a little disappointing because it does does. have some strong, some strong musical moments, not to justify the the making, redoing that or revisiting it. (laughs) uh, But uh, it does definitely does. Um, But yeah, Hercules has has gained a a really popular cult following uh, over the past. I see a lot of like Hercules jokes on Twitter and things like that. I know that sounds weird, but uh, I definitely think like this is the right time to do this. I think that this will be well-received. Um, and uh, the Emperor's New Groove too needs to live action llama <laughs> transformation from David Spade needs to needs to happen too. But. We are in the Spadesons right now, so that could happen. <laughs> Were we ever out of the Spadesons? I mean, that's fair. Joe Dart two was like the peak, and then <laughs> you know Crackle. You know, mm-hmm. you know he's like Mister Instagram. It's the weirdest thing ever. Weird, tra- weird career for that guy. He is fascinating. He, he is fascinating. Yeah. I don't want to go on a David Spade tangent, but uh, he's he's a fascinating career. We'll save that for what? Save Spade that cast. for Ace, yeah. Ace of Spades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ace of Spades. Um, one more little reboot, sequel, prequel, whatever that I've been saving uh, for for all of us to be on the show is this is kind of right up a Richard Bardenville alley. Um, and uh, this is, uh, I guess, a little bit more on the rumor rumbling side of things, too. Have you heard about them doing this movie, Django Zorro, Richard? Yes, I have. What are your I thoughts have. on this? It's uh, Django, a Zor- Django and Chain mm-hmm. Zorro crossover, basically. Yep. Uh, Tarantino and uh, Jared Carmichael, I believe, are the, the mm-hmm. people yeah. involved in uh, Should This Be Produced. Uh, I just can't imagine Tarantino would do that. You know, he doesn't seem like much of a sequel guy. I mean, those two characters could go together really well. I think Zorro's a really kind of untapped. We got, I think that first Zorro movie from 98 or whenever, 99, whenever that was, is, we've talked about that on the show. I love that. That's a pretty good popcorn movie, especially for its era. Um, the sequel's awful. So that, certainly I'd be interested in a little more Zorro action in a, in a cool way. Tarantino would be awesome to do that, but... And then Django would be fun to introduce that more into that kind of pulpy Western style cinema. But I just can't imagine that if it did happen that he would license, I can't see him making it. He doesn't seem like he'd collaborate with anyone, but Robert Rodriguez, sadly. And then if he was going to just license it out, he just doesn't seem like the type that would do that either. So I don't know. I, 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 I it seems like it'd be a cool crossover comic or some kind of like, you know, animated yeah. animated feature that before it would be. I think a it's already a crossover comic. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, but I could see it as an animated feature. Maybe I th- I, he could probably do that, but I doubt it would ever yeah. see the light of day. Or, I don't think he would direct it. Um, 
could probably produce it, but yeah, I can see Robert Rodriguez doing this. Honestly, great. It sounds right up right. <laughs> I will be. Way. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Don't, no, don't. I think I think that part of it for sure that can make he can make that happen. The the Tarantino part. I don't know. I don't know if he'd really. I, I find that I, I love that. I think that concept's cool, but I, I it seems like a thing that sounds fun and then never ever happens to me. I do think we're all on board, right? For more Zorro. Zorro should exist in pop culture for sure. Yeah, ro- uh, Oscar definitely Isaac reboot that. Right Zorro now. needs to happen. Yeah, they have one coming, but I think it's like a space a space Zorro. I remember when we did that episode, Richard. It was just you and me for some reason, but we there was some. Some Ken, projects. Ken doesn't out recognize there. California as a state in America, <laughs> right. so he has mm-hmm. some political issues with Spain right. not still owning yeah. that. It's a weird hot take, Kent, but <laughs> yeah, we support him. He's on it. Very adamant about it. Yeah, and we're look, we're friends, so we we understand. But it, there's some space Zorro movie that's out there in development. It might have been. I feel like it was Koran. Maybe it was. I'm gonna Google that. Or Bing. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> See what old Jeeves has to say. <laughs> yeah, get a, a little bing.com. There you go. Just bing it, bro. <laughs> Apparently yes, this... It's, t- it's titled Z, and it's it's Jonas Kuron. Uh, oh, Jonas. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, I could have told you that. I forgot his name. But, yeah. Um, so, apparently this uh, Tarantino Star Trek movie is not... Uh, out of the question either from happening. This R-rated uh, f bombing <laughs> Star Trek. Can't so. wait. <laughs> the Star Trek franchise is in such flux. It's all so weird to me. That that's another one that just seems like y'all should be able to figure out how to make this work, and we never quite do. It seems like Pine and Hemsworth both are have been pretty publicly grumpy about the development or lack thereof of of star trek movies and stuff it's just it's like i don't i don't feel like it should be this difficult y'all to figure this property out but but here we are yeah so he says he spoke uh last week um promoting once upon a time in hollywood to empire and tarantino said it's an r-rated movie if i do it it will be an r-rated movie so that's uh, mm-hmm. that's where that is. So mm-hmm. potentially a Spock orgy. <laughs> the, the most rational orgy <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Is Tarantino known for that, or, or Star Trek? I don't know <laughs> oh, where you're going with thought, that. When you went, know. when you went R-rated Star Trek, obviously oh, that's yeah, where I went. Orgy automatically. Okay. <laughs> That's what kind oh, of qualifies in R rating nowadays. <laughs> a man can dream. Until you hit that, and then it's got to be R. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. With that, that's movie news, rumors, rumblings. And um, we will um, let Brian go drink his coffee and enjoy his evening while Richard and I talk about Men in Black International. Let's do this. Godspeed, fellas. Come the Men in Black, but probably the ones you won't remember. No. 
<laughs> this time wish, I had that, wish I had that flashy thing. Right? <laughs> wish I was getting neuralized. Uh, man. Um, I wish I was dead. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, as we had alluded to earlier, this is going to be a, a fun one. It's going to be a good one. Uh, Brian bailed out. Couldn't take it. Couldn't do it. Um, and uh, he was chose seen, to. He was seeing Brightburn for the 16th. Yeah, chose to see Brightburn again. And um, so here we are, Richard and I, the ones that actually care about the listener. Here and care to, about the MIBCU. Yeah. And uh, all that implies. The entire, it just, oh man. Um, I'm a little bit uh, awe-stricken by this movie. Um, wow. Just because um, I did not. Achievement. Yeah. It was, a, it's honestly kind of hard to do what they did here. Uh, for a lot of of uh, reasons, but uh, but man, this one was um, this one was tough because you know I have such a soft spot for this franchise for right. this this um, I don't want to say uh, subject matter, but like the paranormal aliens, you know, mm-hmm. the whole uh, aspect of you know the secret government. Uh, working behind the scenes uh, to con- to keep things under control. I love all that. I love it. Um, and I thought the original Men in Black did a great job. I, you know, I when I think of of nineties blockbusters, mm-hmm. I, that's like the first movie Godzilla. I think of. <laughs> no, besides same, I Godzilla, think. I think of Men in Black, which mm-hmm. was the same year as Godzilla, I believe, wasn't it? Ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe the summer after. But uh, yeah, I think my, um, I think it was Independence Day ninety six. This ninety seven. And then Godzilla ninety eight ninety eight. Mine was ninety seven. I don't remember. I, I remember seeing. It. I could be wrong. People are screaming like, at their phones right now. But it could yeah. be ninety eight. Um, nonetheless, the 90s, when I, I was it, in, you know, I was a child, but I was still pretty heavy into uh, a lot of a lot of narcotics. So it all was kind of a flash. Yeah, yeah. Can't get through middle school alone. You know, you got to have what it was 97 was the original. You're right. Boom. We did do a throwback yeah. on that in 2007. So I should. Probably, I mean, 2017. So I should probably know. Should probably should have remembered that. But, uh, but yeah. No, when I think of of blockbusters and blockbusters of my youth and you know of the golden age, you know, I really do think of this movie. Uh, I remember this movie really. Uh, you know, the original Men in Black, not Men in Black International. Uh, I remember the original one just totally changing people's perspectives of what a blockbuster could be, what it could do. It's like, wow, this was good you know right. um because it just it was it was just kind of assumed back in the 90s aside from you know some steven spielberg movies here and there that blockbusters were going to be fun but bad right yeah they were campy. gonna yep. they're gonna be campy they were like batman forever right uh was kind of the crowning achievement of mm-hmm. big uh blockbusters that had a ton of stars ton of franchise you know behind song. it song yeah song huge hit song exactly um but this had a song as well. So they took that template and uh, um, the original, what made the original Men in Black great? It wasn't the aliens. It wasn't the fact that these people dress cool. It wasn't the fact that uh, it's an action movie and they have cool technology and they are very attractive people and good actors and funny. It was the pairing of the two people in the leads. And you juxtapose that with a really smart script and, you know, the cinematographer, Barry Sonnenfeld, who, you know, had up to that point done all the Coen Brothers movies, 
And up to that point, you know, Raising Arizona and those types of movies were extremely visually different. You know, it was a very striking visual style that he had. Right. And so bringing that to this Marvel comic uh, adaptation of this weird, you know, black, dark government uh, was is a really great kind of mixture of, uh, you know, a great made a great stew. All the right ingredients made a, a really terrific uh, recipe at the end of the day. This one really did not seem to know why it was making itself into a movie other than the fact that, you know, people liked men in black as a series, you know, they liked the first three, they liked the universe. I think universally, uh, you know, they've probably done some market research on, on that. And, uh, I would say it's probably universal that most people enjoy, have enjoyed being, a, being in this universe for the most part, you know, aside from men in black two uh, and Johnny Knoxville and things like that. Um, and, you, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, my Laura Flynn Boyle wall in my house. So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, uh, the thing about this one was again, um, it's got, you know, we, okay. So we've got this franchise men in black that people love. How do we reboot it? Um, it really seems like the only strategy that they had was let's, you know, people seem to enjoy Tessa Thompson People seem to enjoy Chris Hemsworth and, and the stuff he does. Oh, we've seen them together in a movie, so we know that maybe that they have some, some chemistry or at least know each other. Um, and uh, we've, we've tried getting you know Tommy Lee Jones back uh, in some kind of role. That didn't work. Will Smith said no. Um, the, they tried to work on the 20, 23 Jump Street thing uh, that you know they couldn't ever get the producers of both franchises, both 23 and Inman and black, uh, which includes Spielberg and Lord Miller and, you know, numerous other big name people to agree just on how they were going to split the, the pro the profits and, uh, the splits and everything. So that didn't happen. And so instead of going and not making the movie, they swing for the fences and they get, uh, somebody that, you know, listen, everybody likes Chris Hemsworth. Everybody seems to like Tessa Thompson. She seems to be pretty new at this uh, in terms of being in these big movies. But from, you know, up to right now, people are people are all in. But again, that's not what made the gra- the first one great. It was it was the juxtaposition. It was the odd couple factor between the two. It was a smart script. This script is atrocious. I mean, I was just, I was floored at how, how terrible this movie was, how bad the dialogue was, how none of it makes any sense at all. Um, it literally just feels like they just put words on a page and filmed it. Like it honestly felt like there was no, (laughs) no plot, no, no humor, no character development really whatsoever, aside from like the opening scene of the movie that really kind of falls flat. Even, even that, um, I mean, I was just absolutely floored at how, at how bad this was or how, how much I disliked this movie. Um, Art Markham needs to be banned from writing movies. He's the guy who brought us, uh, Transformers the last night, which up to that point in the podcast, I, I went on the record and said that that was the worst movie we had ever reviewed. Um, the predator took that crown last year. (laughs) from from this one um barely though this one is uh this one's not as bad as those but it's just you know it's a disappointment it's a really fun world it's amazing how you can make this world not 
fun at all with these people. Like, it's honestly impressive that you can do that, you know, with with F. Gary Gray at the helm and, you know, seemingly uh, charismatic people who can get you through, you know, can out-charm a bad uh, take or can out-charm a bad, dial- you know, badly written dialogue, right, that can kind of sure. elevate the material. I didn't get any of that from this movie. Um, and again, all the right intentions, I think, you know, trying to reboot a franchise that uh, has potential to make money for them, trying to not hold on to the past, but, you know, we'll talk about it. They really did hold on to the past with this movie, so they can't seem to make up their mind there. But at the same time, I was floored at, at how bad this movie was, and uh, and it flopped huge, so I'm not the only one with that sentiment, I guess. Well, it flopped but, here. Uh, it made, it made, it'll yeah, make money. It, yeah, it oh, might. I mean, I, it, it, it'll it made uh, it made under thirty million dollars. Uh, yeah, about hundred and thirty something so far internationally. Yeah. Thus, the well, international because I, I I think just because they put international in the title, it's my, right. That's my exactly. theory. Uh, yeah, no, crazy. It, it, unfortunately, we might get another one of these if it if it doesn't totally fall off. So you're lucky there. I I I, th- I man, yeah. if they were to make another one of these. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, man, it would be a tough, tough call to do this. Um, it's, it's extremely uninspired, other than the fact that we need to make a Men in Black movie, um, or you know, maybe Marvel was going to get the rights back or something. I don't know. But, uh, man, I really enjoyed Men in Black 3. I thought they redeemed a lot about what they lost with Men in Black 2 with that. You know, Josh Brolin and, and wrapping up that story with Will Smith and everything. I thought that was... That was really good. It hit all the notes that we wanted it to hit. This hit none of the notes, in my opinion. Um, and it, this felt like R.I.P.D. I mean, honestly, it really did. Um, yes. It felt like that. Um, but I've been talking for 12 minutes now without, without you with the general thoughts. But um, no spoilers for this one um, because there's no reason to save spoilers, I guess. Yeah. I guess. You can't spoil this movie, really. Yeah, there's it's no, not a whole lot. There's, no, there's nothing, and yeah. So just just uh, forewarned about that. But Richard, why don't you chime in here and get this uh, ball rolling? Yeah, I think I think you're 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 really astute in a lot of what you say. That was going to be what I said. It, it's not as bad as R.I.P.D., but it's certainly of the, of that ilk. Um, you know, the thing I, I love the first Men in Black. It's one of these really fond childhood memories of mine. My mom is one of those movies that. Um, I think now with Brian is, is the only one of us with kids, but uh, I don't know if he's had this particular phenomenon yet because his kid's really young. But he's had movies, I think, you know, the Toy Stories of the World and things like that that are ostensibly kids' movies, but you know they're going to be good going in. And then you have the kind of drag kids' movies that you just know that the little guy's going to like and you're just going to sit through it. Um, I remember my mom took me to see this. I was 97, so I was about 10 or 11 years old. and. Uh, she came out just so fired up at how good it was. You know, it was like a pleasant surprise to her uh, at how much she liked it and how smart it was. I just remember she talked about it for like years after that, how much. And so it's just like a really fond movie because it was, I think, that time you take your kid to something kind of begrudgingly and then end up more than entertained by that. Um, and that same, we had the exact same dynamic when she took me to see Showgirls uh, the year before. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. But, uh, but. <laughs> No, but it, so I, I love that. And the thing that makes that movie, like you, you touched on it, Ken, is that script is really smart, not only dialogue wise, 
Um, but it's, it's, uh, it has, it has, you know, the whole illegal alien thing, it's touched on in that so perfectly. It's such yeah. smart allegory. It's not political in any way. Right. So it doesn't beat you over the head with any sort of like message, but it's just really smart. Okay. What if we treated aliens through an agency the same way we treat legal residency people and you have to get a green card, and you, have, I, you know, and the way they touch on that just enough, uh, is really smart and it creates that world of like this kind of boring bureaucracy uh, around all this really cool futuristic alien stuff so that, you know, it's hilarious. It's like the IRS of having to deal with mind-bending aliens and I think that's why it works and that's why Tommy Lee Jones' character is so great because he's this kind of bored, seen-it-all field agent. You learn more about him as it goes, certainly as the sequels progress, but in that first film, he's so great because he's he's like an auditor, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, that or a uh, he's a uh, he's a, like a, a, a border you know, patrol ser- agent. Yeah, yeah, he's like he's serving your papers or whatever. You know, he's just kind of going, you know, going about the motions. And I think that's the really along with Rip Torn, the genius. But yeah, uh, I honestly thought about Rip Torn like four <laughs> times during this movie. I'm like, gosh, this needs kegger. intergalactic kegger right now. It really does. <laughs> uh, but it. It's uh, the thing of that is is that that performance I think in that character of K makes the movie. Will Smith is great, and that's that's him at his peak. And you know, it's a by you know all intents and purposes a Will Smith film. For God's sakes, he sings the theme song. But I think Tommy Lee Jones is sort of droll, just fits in that. And having that actor, particularly in that character, in a big kind of silly blockbuster is for the first time was a really unique thing. Uh, that he wasn't hamming it up. You know, he kind of hams it up in in uh, his other blockbuster that year with uh, the aforementioned Batman Forever. But in this, he's he's kind of playing it just like he would play No Country for Old Men or something. You know, that there's that great line in it. He's like, did you say anything else? And he's like, yeah, he said the world was going to end. And he's just like, did he say when? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they hear that all the time. I mean, that kind of just stuff is... Is so that's what you want in, in uh, Men in Black. And then in Men in Black 2, they kind of figured out, uh, that, or they decided, okay, what made this magic was Will Smith. Okay, so let's just pick the whole thing about Will Smith, pay Tommy Lee Jones a little money to show up at the end, basically, and and then that movie doesn't work. Because you realize that the magic is A, those two, but B, Jones. And then by the time they made Men in Black 3, they really make, even though it's not Tommy Lee Jones as much anymore because he's older, they find Brolin, who does this incredible transformation, and they really make the movie centered around that character, and it works a lot more. So this movie is obviously reimagining. It's not J and K anymore, but they kind of have two J's again, these kind of cool, yeah. young Doesn't characters. The Liam Neeson character is kind of a throw to that, but it's just not quite the same. And they didn't the, – the rhythm is off, and you're right. Uh, and then uh, back to that script that's written by this guy, Ed Solomon, who, who's funny on Twitter this week. I was telling Kent, he's still not made much from the original Men in Black because the stupid stupid Sony with their awful accounting keeps saying that Men in Black has still not made money, even with all the TV rights and everything. It's such a scam. It's impossible. Uh, what they it's do. Not, it's physically impossible for well, that you know, to be the case. Well, you know, of course, that's what studios do, right? Years. If, when movies don't make money, they make three sequels to them. That's just standard operating business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course, it's made tons of money. There. Original Men in Black almost made a billion dollars, I think. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sure. Between licensing yeah. toys and TV rights, that movie's been on TV every day for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, that's a joke. But anyway, that's the end there. But the, that original writer, he's never written another Men in Black. And I was like, that's weird, because I think that, as you mentioned, uh, 
Kent, that that script is so magic and so smart, and um, and all that. So I went and I went and said, "What else? What else has he written since then?" The old Ed Solomon, and he has given us. He's writing the new Bill and Ted, uh, which is good. But since then, he's given us uh, Charlie's Angels. Uh, what planet are you from? The Gary Shandling joint. Uh, imagine that the sequel to. No, imagine that isn't. Uh, imagine that's the Eddie Murphy movie, and then buckle up, Kent. Now you see me, and now you see me too. So, now you three me. He not not announced yet, but he is doing Bill and Ted because he wrote the original Bill and Ted's as well. So, unfortunately, his career has not gone great. Maybe he, maybe he and Men in Black need each other. But I guess with the way Sony's treated him, yeah, it hasn't worked. But this film is just, it's kind of just a paint by numbers. Um, the effects are just really Sony. Just I don't know. Their stuff always feels really cheap to me. It's such a cool universe. It deserves to be made better. I don't want this to go over to Marvel because God does Marvel do Mar- Marvel and Disney have to make everything? Uh, you know, you want Sony or something to have a hit. As aforementioned last week, uh, we just want content for that Crackle Plus. So it'd be great if this was a hit. But but uh, because we're huge investors, uh, we put all the VIP money into Crackle Plus shares. Um, it's going to pay off. But the 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 film just is is a miss. I don't think I hated it as much as you, but it's 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 definitely worse. We saw X Men last week. It's definitely oh, worse man. than X Men. It's, it's ten times like, worse than Dark Phoenix. That's all I kept wh- thinking about. I was like, and it's gosh. like what? It's around the same score, maybe even higher. It's it's higher than Dark like, Phoenix. Yeah, I think. that's ridiculous. Oh. Dark Phoenix isn't good, Ooh. but that's silly. <laughs> but yeah. I've said my piece, so we can kind of walk through it and set it up a little bit. Uh, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it feels a little bit in the vein of Jurassic World where you want to move on from the original, but the only thing that you have that works about the movie is the callbacks to the original. So, you know, it's not a true reboot. It feels more like a sequel, which I think, uh, you know, Honestly, it's to its detriment a little bit that it doesn't feel like a true totally. reimagining. It does feel a little bit tacked on to the others, and the others are, you know, good if not great for the most part uh, at times. So it's a little bit hard to live up to that. But um, the uh, what, something else that was great about the original, and you know, I'm I'm only saying this to compare it to Men in Black International, is that the setting of New York City was such a perfect setting for that movie because like you said it's it plays so perfectly on the juxtaposition of these aliens are living everyday lives with everybody Mm -hmm. and new york city you go there you see stuff all the time in the subway or whatever a guy might have a face that looks like a cockroach on the subway or you know his hair's you know his face is covered in hair or whatever you're probably not gonna even you know blink an eye and it and it plays so perfectly on just the weirdness of New York uh, that I, I feel like you lose a little bit of that when you throw international on it. And now we're just going to go to places that don't, aliens are everywhere. It just felt like even though it was, it, it, the scale was big of men in black, it still felt a little isolated. Like New York was its own little world of uh, totally you know, agree. every, it was like, it was kind of like the uh, melting pot of all of, civilization right mm-hmm. it was new york city yep and uh and you know so many of the aliens 
in that uh, in the original one, aside from the ones that are walking around the Men in Black headquarters, mm-hmm. are look like normal humans or they just weird uh, people, you know, uh, like like the uh, Edgar guy or um, the jewelry guy, you know, um, those types of characters are what makes it really work. Um, that uh, and this it's just like they're the aliens are just like oh this guy's got a you know a, a pink face and he's a blob alien and like that's yeah. that was like the thing and like the the character design was was really lacking on this that weird beard alien guy was yeah. really kind of creepy and shouldn't have ever passed through the initial concept phase um and then like the kumail nanjiani pawn thing that whole thing just doesn't work at all on any level. And it felt like something out of, uh, you know, something from Nickelodeon or something didn't, didn't fit this movie. Didn't fit the, the men in black, uh, universe at all. It felt, it was bad. Um, it looked good, but it was, it doesn't work as a character or anything, but, uh, but yeah, man, that stuff just stuck out to me, uh, just in terms of comparing what I liked about the first one with this one. But, uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, the creature design. I thought the creature design in the original, uh, and less so in the sequels, but the original was so so fabulous, and uh, especially Edgar and and so many of those are so uh, the the the, the Vincent Ofrio deserves an Oscar for that. I know, like <laughs> that playing that character, he really so does. Good. So good, and uh, Roach Man. <laughs> yeah, Edgar. Um, it's the same as my Rip Torn. I only do one Men in Black voice. Yeah. No, this is, uh, yeah. And the only bright side of this was, uh, you know, no, for me, no Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> I was going to mention him there in that alien segment, but I was like, I don't want to no, piss that, Richard off. <laughs> that character is solid. No, but, uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, I agree with you completely. And I, you put words to it better than I can, could, but, I love that. Uh, I love the the New York part of the first one. It's it's such a cool New York movie, especially with those those great scenes of Battery Park in that part of New York that maybe you don't see as much. It's it's so as you mentioned with Sonnefeld, it's such a great eye to shoot like the that bodegas, cover. you know, yeah. like how all those shady bodegas yeah. just kind of exist and no one really knows what's in them. And um, that's always been a thing about. Especially now, New York is like essentially a Disney theme park based on New York City. But you know, forever is a dangerous place. And the the thought is, when people would go there, they would say, "Oh, it's so cool! At the time of my life, it was great. The food, blah blah blah." But God, the people are so many weird people. So it was interesting to have this idea where, like, okay, aliens, you can come to Earth, but you're going to have to stay on this island or these six islands or these, I mean, pardon me, these five boroughs. And, and, uh, so we can keep an eye on you. And then maybe that's the only place the aliens are. And that explains why the people are so weird in New York. Cause they're all aliens. That was such a smart, funny, interesting idea. And like you said, Kent spreading that out throughout the world, uh, takes away from some of the, I don't know. I, the charm, I, the, the charm of it. Yeah. That mm-hmm. it's such a great New York movie and it's not something you really think of. You don't think of it like that, yeah. but it is, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, they started off the Eiffel Tower sequence. Um, Liam Neeson, man, that casting choice kind of bit him as well. Um, we see Molly, who is uh, Tessa Thompson's character, Agent M. Um, the movie turns into a live action adaptation of Lilo and Stitch for about four and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> Like exactly like the like the character design and everything was like okay you're Leo and Stitch, um, 
And then that's her introduction to aliens is like one goes into her room and, you know, ends up in a room for, I don't know, eight and a half seconds. Mm. Right. But somehow, <laughs> and we're skipping to the end here, but somehow that alien <laughs> remembers her and has like based his life around her or something. Did you stay to the end, by the way? <laughs> I did, surprisingly. Okay. I Dude, did, I yeah. didn't stay to the end, but I stayed to that oh, part. Oh, wow, you pulled I, a Richard. We got to, Dude, we I, got I to couldn't play do the, it. We got to play the, uh, what, how long did Ken stay? Yeah, once I knew where it was going, I was, I was done. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Once they, yeah, once Desert, Desert Beard Man, all that stuff happens, they, I was, and they returned to the Eiffel Tower, and, oh, it, it, this, the movie should have ended like three times. Yeah, it has like three false endings. They're like, all right, let's just get out of here. Oh, never mind. <laughs> you know, you know. It's like Liam, ne- Liam Neeson comes in and saves the day, and they're like, oh, cool. And they're like, nope, he's bad. He he was behind. Oh, man, dadgummit. <laughs> it's another 20 minutes, you know? Um, so we get a pretty lame, I, I think, introduction to her character, um, other than she really likes space. You know, I'm not against the uh, notion of her trying to hack her way into the men in black, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was really executed very well. I think it's a good idea in, in, a, in the pitch and principle, but I don't think the execution was there. Um, for some reason she can track asteroids on her laptop, like <laughs> in, uh, in, you know, in class or something. Um, so you can't do that? No, I can't. Interesting. Oh yeah. Thought you were um, kind of a tech guy, Ken. This is the line that that I uh, I told y'all I almost left like before we even got through the first act. This is the line that, that almost did it for me. And uh, mind you, this is a, a professionally paid screenwriter that wrote this quote. She uh, this is M trying to beg Agent O Emma Thompson to get into the Men in Black. Okay, quote: I have no dog, no cat, definitely no chill. I'd be perfect for this job. End quote. Hmm. That's how I got the job on this podcast. Yeah. But I do have a dog, but I, I have. You have too much chill. I, some could say you could, that could be argued. Yeah. Uh, it's just so funny to me. Just, just use that as, as an example in this movie where that, that line doesn't land at all, but in a movie like men in black, the, the, you know, the, the right combination of the actor the director's the script, the right moment can make a line like I NYPD mean, stands for knock your punk ass down and it works. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was awesome. You know, it's like, it I don't know. The 90s man, different time. Yeah, maybe, but, uh, I don't know. I have no dog, no cat, definitely no chill. That'd be perfect. Well, if you have chill, you are automatically excluded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, then there's a Ghidorah snake poker game mm. with Chris Hemsworth, um, Agent H. You see what they did there? Because of cause Hemsworth. Oh. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't like the letters. H is so sloppy. Yeah. J and K is way cooler. I thought the Hive was a really lame villain, too. That whole con- conceit. The, 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 you know. Yeah, the it's twins much more on the uh, yeah, thing. much more on the War of Wind Boyle than the Vincent D'Onofrio side, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, I was wondering 
So do they only have 26 agents at a time ever because they run out of letters or there's a high T, low T, you know? Well, you know, I think agent low T needs to get, go to the uh, low T center <laughs> and get his levels checked. Hi, I'm doctor. <laughs> Those commercials. Yeah. Do you have low T? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's my, actually my name. <laughs> um, so Chris Hemsworth, uh, like pimps himself out to an alien <laughs> too. I didn't realize that like, it, like uh galactic prostitution was a huge player in the men in black series, yep. but I guess so. It's like yeah. a really big player in this movie. <laughs> it also, <laughs> it also proves that like, you know, Hemsworth pretty universal. No matter yeah, what species, yeah, you're no kind of just like, oh, yeah. You know, you'll what, you'll throw what you'll Milky Way galaxy you're from. Yeah, yeah, you will get. No one can resist the hems. <laughs> yeah. Even the octopus lady. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Especially the octopus lady. Um. Then we get our a our first side of our chess piece queen. Mm-hmm. Um. That was a thing in the movie. <laughs> I mean, that's all <laughs> I have to say about it. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's like, I guess, uh, Kumail Nanjiani's Pawnee character is, once was with her, but now he pledges allegiance to the Men in Black, and mm-hmm. so we can have that character come along for the ride. I mean, I mean you help me out here. I'm trying, no, to, I'm, I'm no, trying to justify I mean, what we no, saw. You know, me too, way. man. I'm not trying to leave you hanging. I'm just saying it's there, there's so many. The, the, that's the other thing with Men in Black is it's a really far out p- premise that's not only grounded by the performance in the script, but like it's the story makes sense. You you can you go okay they have they have a few uh, few bit notes of exposition and then like okay I get, you know Brian always talks about it. It's like as long as you explain it just enough, I can get down with any premise. And there's no real loopholes, et cetera. But this was like really holy. I didn't, you know, there's so mm-hmm. many things like, I guess, like, guess that makes sense. But I don't think there's a plot to this movie. No, there's really there's no, there's no plot. There's no, I mean, it's very simple. I mean, this, this kind of movie should not be the kind of movie that you have to overly think what you're trying to do. It should be, oh, this alien is here. We got to get rid of him. Let's go. That's the movie. It should not be so convoluted and so many different, uh, uh, you know, plot points that you're trying to work in of, oh, well, Liam Neeson's character wants to take over Men in Black, but there's political reasons that he can't do that. So he's got to do this. But then the species is trying to take over the planet and they need the weapon. You know, there's so much that they're trying to do here that this movie should be a buddy cop Go, let's go get the bad guy, and you know there's going to be a police chase along the way. We're going to have to go interrogate a guy. One of us might get shot, and that might be a moment. You know, um, I feel like the Men in Black movie original originally just played so much better off the satirizing cop cop TV shows. You know, and oh. all the old what made those great. You know, mm-hmm. aside from science fiction. Um, it's got, it's got like a, uh, kind of a law, like a law and order vibe to it. You know, Mm -hmm. that really works that this had none of, um, it's not, (laughs) it's not serious enough to be taken serious. Does that make sense? 
No, it, 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 indeed it does. It's it's not. Uh, it doesn't take itself serious enough. That's yeah. It doesn't take of, itself serious enough for me to take it serious. Yeah, that's like what I. That's, what's, but what's that, the original Men in Black does. Yes, it, it does it with it. a straight face mm-hmm. the entire time. It it's, doesn't wink at the camera. It doesn't. You know, like that's that's what's so great about it. It's fun. It's fun, but it it's not fun at its own expense. It takes itself yeah. and its plot seriously, and it finds the fun within it. And of course, it's ridiculous, but. You know that that in that world it's real. This just felt like, you know, let's almost let's put one toe in the water of this world and just see what kind of if we can drum up a a, a goofy spirit. It didn't. It didn't. This requires some. I mean, as dumb as it is, it requires some buy-in for the. You know, it's not something you can do with a wink. The property just doesn't lend itself to it. I don't think. I mean, what do I know? It, well, speaking of that, of a wink. I mean, the the. Until the uh, Sony hack, the next iteration of this was going to be uh, 23 Jump Street Mm -hmm. MIB, which was going to be a 23 Jump Street movie, which then transitioned into those two idiots, uh, Jonah Hill and and, uh, Channing Tatum, joining the Men in Black, and then it'd be with... with, uh, With Will Smith and, I think, Tommy Lee Jones, or was it Brolin? I don't know how they were going to do it, but uh, I... I, It's such a bummer. That hack was, was... scary and terrible for all kinds of economic and political ways, but that's a bummer that that's a premise that probably only works as a surprise. So once it was kind of out, yeah. it was over. I would have much preferred that creative team of, of Warden Miller and Jonah Hill and, and folk in charge of this world, because they do really good thing with that of, of taking that. I think they would have taken it seriously and then, and then found the fun within it as well. Even though 21 jump street is kind of self-aware that works. Uh, the the melding of those two wor- worlds would have been really cool. I think. I think so too. But you're right. I think maybe in the era of social media, I don't think. I think it gets spoiled way too. You know, I don't know if that would have worked. But man, it was a cool idea. It was a great concept. That uh, you know, credit Jonah Hill for for coming up with that would have been really cool for it to happen. Um, this is an actual quote. From an insider, uh, this is Hollywood Reporter had this little write up today on on kind of the fallout from Men in Black International and what it means. Um, that says the studio was initially high on the screenplay by Art Markham and Matt Holloway. "Quote: The script was good. You don't attract Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson if the script isn't good." End quote. And I completely disagree with that. Um, a point one: the script isn't good. Not at all. Point two, Tessa, uh, uh, Tessa Thompson is looking to have a career, which she still does not fully have yet. And this is, uh, you know, a vehicle for that. Mm-hmm. And same with Chris Hemsworth. He's looking yeah. to break out of Thor and break into his own superstardom. And this is Men in Black. Uh, you know, both of their agents are probably like, listen, even if this, this isn't great, it's Men in Black. It's going to be a huge movie internationally right it's going to make a ton of money it's going to be number one it's a good excuse to not you know right after avengers all that all the reasons that you would do this movie i i cannot believe anyone at the studio read this and thought this needs to be the the men in black movie that we make right now you know i can't you know i guess some of the messaging side of it is the reason it got made you know i mean i agree with with the inclusion aspect of it, you know, which that we've been begging, totally. honestly, for them to do forever, starting with Men in Black, 
you know, the way that movie ends, it's like, uh, you know, Linda Florentino or whoever it is, uh, is man, this is going to be awesome. The next movie with Will Smith and her, it's going to be great, you know? And it never happened. And it was such a tease. And this finally she does was great happen. In the first one too. She, we didn't she was so her. good. Yeah. yeah it sets up role. perfect. Um, and that, that never like again came to fruition, but, um, man, you just think of, of what that could have been. And then what this is, it's just, it's crazy, but yeah, it, it seems like the only reason for this to be made is like, uh, okay. To have a, a you know, a girl, to bring a girl into this franchise, uh, a woman, a strong lead woman is not the worst idea. And I, I totally, you know, see like the long-term vision for, for this to, to attach yourselves to Chris Hemsworth and to Tessa Thompson is not the worst business decision, but you have to have the property to back it up. You have to, you have to have, um, the, I mean, what I just watched a documentary this past weekend called, um, is it's called, uh, gosh, what is it called? It's a documentary about uh, Disney and their process um, in making the road to El Dorado. Mm. Um, not the road to El Dorado, um, the Emperor's New Groove. Um, and it's actually a band uh, documentary. Okay. Uh, it's called the, uh, the Sweatbox. That's what it's called, the Sweatbox. Um, but... So the, orig- the original vision for the Emperor's New Groove, and th- this is kind of a tangent, but this is, I, I promise this will, this will make sense, was, um, you know, they, 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 they got the guy that made The Lion King, and, the, and they, they came to the guy that made The Lion King and said, all right, you just made the biggest Disney movie maybe ever. What do you want to do now? And he said, you know what, I really want to do this movie about South America, set in South America, about South American culture, Machu Picchu, you know, that whole thing. I want to do a musical movie set down there. They're like, okay, that sounds awesome. You know, let's get this going. And so they got him. They, uh, they got sting, uh, to do the music for it, to write like six original songs for the movie, um, wrote and and composed them. Um, it was, it was starring Owen Wilson and, um, David Spade as like, you know, two brothers, twin brothers. And it was called kingdom of the sun. And, they did the entire movie basically, you know, like scripted it out, voiced it out. They did animatics, all the music, everything. They, they got it in the, um, screening room and they said, this doesn't work at all. They, you know, they all watched it and they're, they were like, this doesn't work. Why doesn't it work though? I mean, we've got Sting, we've got David Spade, we've got, you know, all these elements, but why at the end of the day, does it not work? And the documentary just shows their process of breaking it down into making it work, right? And saying, okay, what elements do we like? Okay, we like David Spade. We need more of him. How can we highlight him without, you know, uh, losing what we like about what we were trying to get there? All that to say, this never should have gotten to the point. This should have, in the script stage, somebody should have said, does this work as a movie? Can we, can we sit down and watch this, and is it going to flow? Is it going to be exciting? Is it going to be funny? I mean, I saw this movie with, I, I think, a, a decent amount of people for a, yeah, same a Monday for a Monday that was a flop movie and not, not even a, a hint of a laugh in the entire movie. <laughs> um, so 
I just think like there are so many there are so many um, levels to this before it gets to this point that you should have much more control over the situation. Or again, this is Sony's property, man. This is their baby. This did not have to be the movie that they made. And just to go back on the quote that I said of the entire studio was behind this movie uh, from the script uh, uh, stage is pretty disturbing in my opinion um, that they, that this, this was the script that got made um, because it's not, it doesn't have any of the elements of what made me like men in black totally. um, from the start. I can see them doing this animated again. Like they did with Spider-Man. No, they've sure. lost that. That'd be uh, cool to try to keep the property rights. Um, I think an animated men in black could be really cool because it would open up some of the, the things you could do, but yeah, I mean this made this made money, but most of it was just international money. I can't imagine it'll have much legs. Um, so I, I'd be surprised if we we revisit the well, especially with this cast. But who knows in this day and age? Who knows? Maybe F. Gary Gray is just itching to crank out more of these. But I don't know if they should let him. But I could see an animated Men in Black movie, uh, all into the dark, maybe working. It's kind of funny. It's like Sony's like their only team that works is their animation team now. Or Lord Miller. Yeah, Lord Miller to, you know, get the Spider-Verse team into this and make it into something. Um, man, what do you do from here if you're if you're them? Do you make another one of these with Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth? You know, <laughs> do you I, I, maybe, come, I don't get think new you, stars? Do you try to think, get Will Smith again or, you know? Yeah, I think, well, the Will Smith career is not – if he was still hot, you may try to look glob on. But I think what you do is you just – you do what you can to hold on to the property and you hope that – I don't think you care at all who the people are, but you hope that some filmmakers, screenwriters and or directors and or both uh, – uh, I guess, well, the and or takes care of the both. Uh, but the you hope that they oh, – a la oh, oh Lord and Miller come and say, I've got a great idea for Men in Black. And then you go with it from there. Yeah. But it's got to be made from somebody that's not the dudes from The Last Night – and F. Gary Gray, though he's made some fine movies, he's not exactly, you know. Yeah, apparently, he tried to like bounce from this multiple times. Yeah, but the studio convinced him. It's like, hey, stick this out. It's going to be worth it in the back end. You know, if you stay on as director, you know, it'll it'll be worth it for him. You know, it might not be fun to make the movie, but you know, from a financial standpoint, I think they probably said it's in your best interest to stay on board. You know, um, totally. So, so yeah, man, this was, this was, this was rough, man. It, it felt like the entire movie takes place in the freaking, like the entire movie takes place in the headquarters of Men in Black. And it's mm-hmm. just the camera moving around, showing you how weird the headquarters of Men in Black it was like, totally. that's the, that's the movie. But that's um, the stuff that works the best in a weird way. It's like, that's not good, <laughs> but that was like, you know, it, it, uh, least that had but yeah it seemed like kind of just a stoner's idea of wouldn't it be cool if it did this and what if they had this and all that but uh yeah not great bob it feels like um i don't know it feels like a bit of a i don't know of a cop out just the let's take this thing international oh yeah it's always the thing international you know spider-man's doing it too yeah i I, 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 i had i had uh, voiced a little bit of concern over that. My, that's my only concern over it is like just the the road trip kind of movies never really or types Especially of sequels, sequels never really yeah. uh, never really do do too well. But um, but yeah, I mean, if I was Sony, I don't know. They said 
that it might, you know, make its way, you know, they might reboot it via streaming service at some point, uh, Crackle Plus, or, you know, who knows? I, I don't think they should try to reboot this anytime soon. But, uh, you know, it's disappointing because this has such potential because it's people we like and it's a property we like. But, you know, sometimes there are the ingredients just don't come together, you know. And I think this one really just from the initial concept script stage just was dead in the water. I don't think any star, any director could have taken this script and made it into a good movie. I just don't think I don't think it it's possible. But um, but yeah, so. My main concern coming out is Sony does not know what's good anymore. Um, and what is good at Sony is just, uh, you know, some smart people doing good work <laughs> and they're taking some good credit for it, you know, so that's okay. Um, just a couple other notes that I had. Um, holograms always add 10 pounds was like the maybe closest attempt at a joke of, in the movie. Yeah. Um, I smirked. See, that was dope. Um, I noted that their names were H and M. I was like, I can't believe they didn't try to make mm. this into like an H and M stores in the background in every yeah, shot, especially all, with like, the international thing. Yeah, yeah. I bet the I bet that was an Easter egg by these lame screen. I bet they tried to really do that, smart. and H and M was like read the script, and we're like, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> have you run it by Zara? Yeah. Um. Yeah, have you tried Fried Forever 21? They're in a big 90s shift right now. Um, meeting, uh, you snore when you meditate. I don't know what that was about. That, that Just a random note that there's no meditation scenes and there's no, that's just a weird line. Um, they go down a taxi into an alien nightclub that was, had fornicating aliens. And then I wrote, yeah, it, it literally wrote in my notes, WTF is even happening. And then I wrote lava ground and shoot them because I look forward to you selling <laughs> these notes one day, like the archives of Bob Dylan or something. I would, I would paste these on the, uh, VIP feed, but they look like a doctor's like notes. You can't read them. I know you do because you're in a dark theater. You're just, kind yeah, of you're just, sick. you're looking at the screen as you're scribbling them. But yeah, the scene with the, uh, the two twins and, uh, and you know, twins. the lava ground, <laughs> the men in black, they're hor- these are horrible men in black. They don't they don't shoot anything. They don't you know, J and K were were badasses, I felt like. These <laughs> M M and H are awful. They're not they're not they're not good cops. They're just standing there as these guys turn the ground into lava and they're like, What are they doing? Uh, uh. It's it's not not good cop work at all. Um there's no training at all in this, you know, when she, she doesn't train, she just kind of like shows up and I really want to do this. I want to be a man in black. What about woman in black? Remember I told you that was coming. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Told you that was coming. It did. <laughs> um, I'm ready to hit a grade. Well, I'm about to yeah. this one, man. Yeah, no, that, let's, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll go first. Cause I know you've got a special one. I'm going to yeah. go with a st- solid D minus out of this guy. And wow. Kent, fire up the trademark machine. Wow. Head up, head down to the patent office. And Kent, you're great. I got no B's, no C's, no D's. Definitely no chill. But I do have an F minus minus minus. That's funny. For men I, in black international. I do have, stamp it. 
I do have D's. Throw some D's. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to welcome back in Brian Gill and hit a little bit of Weekly Recommends. Morning. Abu. Weekly Recommends. Okay. I am going to uh, pass it on to Brian first for Recommends this week. Brian. Sweet. I'm going to recommend a musical artist who I saw in uh, in concert this weekend. And I've, I've been a big fan of his music for, for a while. I know Arby is the super fan of the three of us by far, but um, I've always enjoyed this guy and went and saw, uh, this is Josh Ritter, went and saw him in concert this weekend in Austin, and it was a lovely, a lovely show. One of, probably the, one of the five best shows that I've, that I've ever been to. It was just a treat, and I, he played for a solid hour it's and a half. crazy you saw four to Georgia Line four gigs in a row for the, other, for the rest of that <laughs> right. five, but right. good for you. Well, you know. You live. You live, got that, bro. Got that whole East Coast leg of the tour, you know? Um, <laughs> you, you haven't lived until so you've seen, seen Florida, Florida, Georgia, Georgia Line. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen Florida, Georgia Line play Vermont. Um, <laughs> that's... Boy, what the dream came true. Yeah, I saw Josh, Josh Ritter in concert this weekend uh, in Austin, and he was magnificent. It was one of the one of the better shows I've seen in a long time. So he's still got several uh, legs of this tour to go, and then I think he's going overseas and then coming back in the fall and doing a bunch of shows kind of all across the, the U.S. So so uh, if you're if you're in the U.K., you can check him out in a month or so. If you're in uh, if you're in the U.S., uh, I would highly recommend just go to his website and check it out and, and listen to the music too it's great the, the new record's great I know that was a recommend from you Richard last mm-hmm. week or two weeks ago something like that um, and, and really really all of his records are great and he was awesome and awesome in concert loved it had a, had a great time at the show so Josh Ritter in concert and that is my recommend seen yeah, it live a- and it, it's awesome go ahead Ken go ahead I was gonna say he's in my top 10 Ritters so that's pretty good <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's constantly Kristen, different. Kristen is a firm one, though. She, <laughs> John, big Jessica. Hologram John. He rest in peace. In concert is the best. Hologram John. He falls down so well. Kristen's not in the top. 80 no. short, in those 80 shorts. <laughs> Kristen Ritter, uh, by the way, married to the guy from the War on Drugs. Uh, lead singer, oh. guitar, uh, nice. songwriter. Man. War on Drugs, Thanks. very... That's my uh, live show recommend. Is the world? Yeah, yeah. very good. Live I've never, concert. Never seen that. But, very, uh, very good. Um, good stuff, uh, Richard. What you got? Yeah, so I've got a book that I should have read years ago. It's by one of my favorite authors. That uh, for some reason I didn't. Uh, it's his first book, and uh, it's awesome. If you're interested in <laughs> uh, financial narratives, which of course I am, because oh, I'm who is very it? cool, very yeah. cool. But uh, Liars Poet Poker by. Um, by Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis is incredible, and I'll read anything by him. And I hadn't gone back this far, so uh, cr- knocked it out in about two sittings. It's uh, he can make anything, makes you understand everything, and uh, makes everything read like a great novel. He's just a, a true master writer and a awesome dude, and and all that. So I'll go uh, liars poker, Michael Lewis. Nice, 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 nice. Um, I'm going to recommend a movie. That I just got a chance to to watch um, per recommend from a, from a friend. It's uh, it's on Netflix um, right now. It's this one's called the one I love. Have either of you guys seen this? No. This is uh, it stars Elizabeth Moss and Mark Duplass. Oh, yeah. Came out in 2014. Um, mm-hmm. Must have slipped under the radar. Um, 
while we were doing the show. I think it was in, in limited release then. It's a Charlie um, McDowell movie, right? Yes. He have, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He have Pizza Kitchen fame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He um, really, uh, really interesting movie. Um, I'm not going to give too much away about it, but it's kind of thriller, science fiction, romantic comedy. Uh, but uh, man, it's got a really good script. Uh, like the first. 20 30 minutes like the setup is one of the best setups i've ever seen in a in a in like that kind of movie in like a thriller sci-fi like jordan peele kind of movie you know um really interesting uh the one i love it, it's like a really lame title for a movie it's like one of my first mm-hmm. thoughts coming out was like the biggest detriment that movie had was it's called the one i love and that does not at all uh you know tell you what it's about or you know it doesn't. It doesn't do justice to the movie at all. So uh, check this movie out, though. Really, it's worth your time. You guys would both love it. I know. Um, it's on Netflix. Elizabeth Moss is great in it. Mark Duplass again. It's great, great actor. Uh, this great this actress. guy who wrote this this the um, the script. It was like his first script coming out of like uh, NYU or something. Um, and uh, so he might be somebody to watch out for. This uh, screenwriter is really young and good. But uh, but yeah, the one I love is my recommend. Cool. Nice. Okay. This is uh this has been fun, painful, good, exciting, funny, all those things. But uh next week uh we're going to be crying at this time because we're talking Joy Story 4. <laughs> um we'll be bawling and uh you know, never using sporks the same way again without <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. But um until then, enjoy us over uh, uh join us over in that uh, VIP club for that Toy Story episode and uh we're talking true lies in there all, as well very soon. That, that'll that be posted this weekend. Nice. So uh, true lies talk uh, coming up. But um, until then, Brian, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on the Twitter at Beagle12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter. Richard, where can I find you? You can find me on all the various social media at Richard Barden or the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter, occasionally on the website, uh, but tastefully nude. And mm-hmm. Kent, where can I find you? You can find me online at Kent Garrison on Twitter and uh, find us online at uh, madaboutmoviespodcast.com for all of our episodes. I think only our most recent ones are on iTunes and Spotify and things. So uh, if you want more than that, check out the website. They're all archived there for you. Um, Until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salad and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. (laughs) But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya-ya, the salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.